This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. There's some cool stuff to talk about this week, so let's jump right into it. First up, Retro Fighters has just announced a wireless version of their Brawler 64 and 64 controller, and it seems to be pretty much the same controller design as before, but with a few things improved upon based on customer feedback. And the wireless dongle itself is going to be how you insert memory packs, which I guess makes sense because then they wouldn't have to have two different wireless transfer protocols, or worse, they wouldn't combine everything over Bluetooth and get you a laggy solution. So I guess it kind of makes sense, but the downside of that, of course, is that there's not, not going to be able to have any rumble pack support, and I guess no transfer pack support either, which I'm not really sure why not, but I guess if you're buying this controller, it would be for somebody that's looking for a wireless N64 solution without any of the extra features, just the basic wireless controller solution. Um, it's available in a bunch of different colors with uh, that are designed to match the original Fantastic controller shells, as well as, well as the original gray controller, and all of the different wireless receivers are, have the same color scheme to match. Um, so there's a bunch of different features. It claims um, a wireless range of over 30 feet, but that's always dependent upon your environment. Somebody that's out in the middle of nowhere could probably go you know, infinitely farther than somebody who lives in a, a busy area in an apartment. Um, it's supposedly also 2.4 gigahertz RF technology, not Bluetooth. Uh, however, they didn't post any lag test results, and these companies normally don't. Which, I, for wireless stuff, I both agree and I think it's kind of a shame because, you know, of course, the test environment would have a lot to do with that. Are you testing it in an EMI chamber a foot away from the uh, the console um, or are you testing it in a busy environment on the other side of the room? I, I totally understand why it would be hard to do that. But if I were a company like this and my controllers were low latency, I would find a way to reasonably brag about it. So it's kind of a shame that they don't None of these companies ever do that. But, you know, all of these companies over the past few years have been listening to customer feedback. That's definitely evident. So, you know, if that's something that's important to you, just politely ask them and maybe they'll start doing it. Who knows? Uh, but for now, I guess we'll have to rely on the community to post the, those results ourselves. Um, it comes in all four different colors, and I have links to Castlemania here, both because I like to support Castlemania, but also because I guess a bunch of people had issues pre-ordering directly on the Retro Fighters website. It was probably just a quick little bug, but whatever. So anyway, uh, links to all of them, so pre-order wherever you choose, are right here in the post, as well as the video that Retro Fighters posted um, and, you know, uh, just the full basic write-up. Next up, Miss Mad Lemon has demonstrated a couple of different Atari 800 computer ROM cart solutions. Uh, and I, I realize ROM cart is probably the wrong term when you're talking about something that could emulate disk drives and cartridges and everything else. But I feel like that's a generic enough term that people would understand what the post was about. Uh, but it was kind of neat to see because... 
I don't actually, I have never used an Atari 800 and I don't really know much about it. So while none of these are new solutions, it was pretty cool to see the different devices demoed and, and to see how they work. Um, there was also a follow-up video that included the incognito board. And I'd heard about these solutions, but I'd never really seen them in use before. Um, so if you have an Atari 800 and you were looking for a different solution for uh, how to play original software without the original disk drives and tape drives and stuff like that, definitely check out the video and see which works more for your use. I did kind of laugh at the farting sound that one of them made. <laughs> I think it, my guess, my only guess is that they were trying to emulate the sound of a floppy disk drive's read mechanism, but uh, I agree with Miss Mad Lemon. It did sound like a fart. So if you're interested in this stuff, check out the video. Um, I can't remember if I'd ever talking, uh, if I'd ever talking. Wow, I'm having a good day, huh? If I'd ever spoken about her videos before. Um, I've watched most of them. I'm a fan of her work. Uh, it's just a lot of them are usually more along the lines of like, hey, check out this project that I'm working on. Check out this thing, which are incredibly entertaining, but very often they just don't feel like a fit for retro RGB. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, feel free to speak up if you feel the same way. But uh, I definitely just wanted to shout out her content because I've been watching it for a while. And um, I, th I really felt like this one was a fit because we do try to cover a bunch more of the computer stuff nowadays. Uh, and I'm always curious about different ways to to, to both enhance and eliminate original media. So I always want to have original discs, original disc drives, all that stuff. But um, sometimes it's just really nice to have a ROM cart-like solution to just skip to the end and be able to use this software. A team of ROM hackers have just uploaded a patch for the Sega Saturn game Vandal Hearts, and it includes a whole bunch of pretty cool things. So first and foremost, it's an English translation, which is based upon the PlayStation version, because I believe the PlayStation version of the game had a worldwide release and the Saturn version only had a Japanese release. So not only did they take that translation, but they updated it a bit as well to be a better fit for some of the language. Anybody that's ever played those style games knows that sometimes they get the translations wrong even in the official versions. But there was also a bunch of other pretty cool enhancements added to it, um, including support for the 4 megabyte expansion cart, which allows speeding up of loading of level maps, which is almost double the speed for that. Um, and a lot of other really cool changes, like increased the internal resolution of the game, um, increased the size of the background images. There was really just a, a long list of cool things that if you were a fan of Vandal Hearts, it's absolutely worth checking this out to see if this is something you would want to apply. And I believe there's even been a few updates since the original. Uh, so if you're a fan of this, check it out. See if the uh, romhacking.net page um, has any updated versions of this and see what you got. So uh, it's, I mean, I'm always super appreciative of any translation, but when you go the distance to not only just translate the game, but add all of these cool enhancements, it seems like a pretty cool experience. So thanks very much to the team that's doing it. And if you're a fan of the game, definitely check out the post. I am so very excited to finally have a video posted showing off Marcus's CPS HDMI mod. I've spoken about it here before. I've done a few posts. I've absolutely ranted about how much I've liked it. However, I didn't want to do a full production video on it until I felt it had all of the features that everybody would want, both because um, I didn't want to do two full-length videos on it, but also I, I didn't want to give people the wrong impression. Marcus always had plans to do everything that's in this video, 
So I didn't want to have people think, oh, it's just a basic HDMI out, which even that was cool. But all of the features that are implemented in this are, are just absolutely awesome. Uh, I think I also forgot to mention it's a zero lag solution. It's usually the first thing I would mention, but it's based off the same technology as the open source scan converter. So I don't think any lag could even be added in any modes, uh, except for possibly, you know, milliseconds, not frames. So this should be something that is 100% usable, even in fighting game tournaments. And all of the features are really incredible. On-screen display, uh, tons of different resolution output modes, and even through converters, the ability to play on CRTs, which... Based on the comments, some people totally got and some people still don't quite grasp why you would need that. And I totally understand. If you don't have a ton of experience with arcade boards and super guns, it could seem... I don't want to use the word useless, but it could seem like... Eh, maybe useless, I guess, but... The whole, the short version of that is super guns usually involve a, a lot of factors. Um, they're sometimes hard to get, and depending on which one you buy, you're not even sure if the video output is exactly what you need for your display. Whereas just going from an HDMI to component, HDMI to VGA, or HDMI to VGA through a sync combiner to SCART is fairly straightforward if you've done it before. If you've never done any of that, I'm probably confusing things. Sorry, but you know, if you've ever used any of those converters, it's a very straightforward solution. And being able to just put uh, plug an I.O. board into this thing, um, power it up, and then output on any display you want, uh, I think is a really awesome option. And uh, one of my favorite parts of the video, selfishly, was showing how to split the 240p HDMI output to uh, to your CRT as well as to your capture card and then resize it nearest neighbor in your capture so that technically you have one HDMI out, but that one output is going safely to a CRT and to a stream. So that way you could really take advantage of everything this kit has. So uh, please check out the video. Uh, you know, I'm just very excited about it. It's obviously something that only people with uh, with the desire to use original arcade hardware would want. Um, there are so many of us out there that just say, hey, I'll, I'll wait for a Mr. Core. Um, it's a perfectly fine experience on the Raspberry Pi. I have a PC dedicated, whatever. And that's that's totally fine. There's no wrong way to do these things. Um, but there are a large group of us that just want original hardware sometimes. And this is a very exciting mod in that scenario. So uh, please check out the video. Thank you so much to Marcus for making this awesome product. And hopefully he'd be able to even possibly port it to one or two other arcade platforms as well, just for the heck of it. Here's another product that I am super excited about. The rechargeable battery pack for the Sega Nomad made by Greg from LaserBear. Um, this thing is awesome. I have been testing it for quite a while now. Uh, and unless you already own an original battery pack and some Eneloops, this is absolutely a must-have for any Nomad owners. Um, I did the full comparison right inside the post here, so you could see side-by-side -side what it looks like compared to the original. Um, it's pretty much the same size and shape. The only difference is that the original is tapered, and this one's more rectangular, but you don't notice at all when you're playing and I think this one is a tiny bit lighter but you don't notice at all it really just feels like the original um, and I've been testing this thing for a long time uh, probably a month or two straight now closer to two months and it's been absolutely perfect it's thrown everything I needed at it um, didn't have any issues with this nomad or the ones that I tried uh, it fits nice and a 
the batteries definitely lasted a lot longer than the Eneloops. Um, I think I've only had to charge it once. Um, and while I didn't have a ton of consistent play, I, I'm constantly using this thing for testing. Uh, my Nomad is absolutely my go-to for whenever I need to test any um, any kind of scaler or products, just because I don't even need to power it on. I just throw an RGB cable into it. It's already triple bypass modded. So while it's still a little noisy, it seems to be a great solution overall. And the only other pretty cool thing too is the charging port on it is the same exact as a Genesis 2 or Nomad style. And if you wanted to, you could charge it while you're playing. So if your battery is low, you could just plug in the, uh, you know, plug in your AC adapter into the Nomad pack, not into the Nomad itself, and then continue to play as if it was a battery. And, you know, then after you're done charging, just unplug it and keep playing. You never have to power off your console to swap. So if you're a fan of the Nomad and if you're a fan of playing untethered, not just plugged in to the wall, absolutely check this out. Um, if you already own the original and you have a set of rechargeable batteries that seem to be working for you, the only upgrade respectfully that I think you'd get is uh, every Eneloop charging pack that I've seen is four. So it's kind of a pain to be able to or to have to recharge six batteries when your charger only does four at a time. Uh, and those things do take forever to recharge. I usually have to leave them overnight. So if you have the original, I'm not sure if this is something you should run out and get. But if you don't have the original, I would highly, highly recommend it. So please check out the post for pictures, details and everything that you could need. Uh, and then just go right to laserbear.net to order them. And the only other thing which is mentioned in the post is you have to buy the batteries separately, and it's strongly recommended that you buy these specific batteries. Um, if you really know what you're doing, I'm sure you could find alternatives that work, but unless you have some solid experience with rechargeable batteries, I would just buy these. That's the same link that I used. They arrived in a reasonable period of time, and they weren't that expensive. Um, and actually, cost overall, if you don't have an original pack, you know, buying an original Nomad pack off of eBay and buying rechargeable batteries will most likely cost you more than buying this pack from LaserBear as well as those batteries. So uh, while it's not a cheap solution, it's certainly a fairly priced one. So obviously, I'm very excited about it. Definitely check the post out if you're interested. Here's kind of an interesting niche market product. The company Songbird Productions is gauging interest in a reprint of the Nuon game Iron Soldier 3, and it would be a fully licensed re-release, identical to the original, and it would sell for $60 with a 28-page manual. Um, and if you're not familiar with the Nuon, this was, I believe, a chipset that could be paired with DVD players released in the early 2000s probably to combat things like the PlayStation 2, which was obviously a gaming platform, but it was also highly advertised as a DVD player and had a pretty cool remote that you could buy with it as well. So uh, a lot of people were picking up PlayStation 2s as DVD players because they were decent quality uh, and you could get some games with it. I think even my dad had picked one up at one point and you know, while he did play a game or two now and then, that was his main DVD player and it worked great. So it would make sense that uh, other companies might think, hey, why don't we just integrate a gaming platform into our DVD players? And, you know, you could imagine how well that went. Uh, there were only eight games published for the system, one of which was Tempest, incredibly, which was a pretty cool game. Uh, and I think there was only four movie releases that added Nuon-based features to it. Uh, and I don't even remember what those uh, 
what those original features were, to be honest. So uh, I've never even seen a new one. I've never had a chance to use it. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say that. I think after I got back into retro gaming, I haven't had a chance to use any new on enabled stuff. I'm pretty sure I'd seen it when it came out and just kind of walked right past it thinking, uh, I'm not going to use that. But it is an interesting piece of history. Um, I, I've never played the Iron Soldier game for it, but if I ever get a chance to, I would like to experience that, uh, as well as Tempest and even the spinner controller that uh, Nick Persane, I believe, was making for it. So, uh, kind of a fun niche thing. Uh, check out the post if you would like any more info on it, and it would be interesting to see if uh, they actually went ahead with this and officially re-released the game um, for a f- far dead platform. <laughs> I recently had the pleasure of speaking to Jose Tejada, a.k.a. Hotego, the creator of many different FPGA cores, as well as somebody that's contributed a lot to the open source FPGA scenes like Mr. Mist and all of those. And it was a really great conversation. Um, the whole thing felt very natural start to finish. He's a very easy person to talk to, and I really think the interview went great. Um, as usual with these things, I, I try to go in uh, treating them like a laid-back conversation. You know, I think a lot of people do prefer the formal interview style, but that's just not me. I really like to make guests on the show feel comfortable and feel like they're just welcome to have a conversation, and I really think it flowed very well this time. And, you know, the feedback's been pretty good as well, so I think hopefully all of you agree. So if you are interested in some very cool stories and some technical talk, but to be honest, I think even when Jose got technical, uh, it wasn't for too long of a stretch at a period, you know, too long of a period, uh, and it's still stuff that non-tech technical people could probably at least grasp the concepts of. So even if you're not, you know, a super FPGA nerd, uh, it might just be an interesting interview to listen to just to hear somebody's fun stories and, and get a glimpse into how a lot of this stuff works in the reverse engineering and FPGA scene. So thank you very much to Jose for coming on doing the interview. I'm definitely going to be talking to him again at some point in the future, because that was just too much fun to not do a second time. And as with all of these interviews, podcasts, whatever you want to say, um, they're all available everywhere audio podcasts are found, as is, of course, this podcast. Um, so, you know, if you prefer to listen audio only, the numbers on the interview podcast are always higher on those services versus YouTube. But this is a video interview if you'd prefer to have that up as well. Uh, respectfully, there's there's no right way to do it. Whatever way you prefer is the right way, including just direct download, which I always have available as well. So if you're interested in this conversation, listen to it any way you feel like. Uh, and I really thought this was a fun one. So hopefully people enjoy it as well. Terra Onion has just released an updated firmware for the Super SD System 3, which is a ROM cart, optical drive emulator, and audio video out option for Turbo Graphics, Core Graphics, and Super Graphics consoles. Um, when this was originally released, uh, there were some bumps in the road, but it's been a pretty solid piece of hardware overall ever since. Uh, the only issues really with it are ones that are inherent to the hardware. I have nothing to do with the plug and play solution, like jail bars, um, you know, depending on the model that you own. Uh, and the only other complaints that I had about it were really the menu, which is uh, one of the biggest features of this new firmware update. They have changed the menu to match that of the Mega SD, which flowed really nicely. And I think um, out of the entire SSD S3's history, the, the only thing that really didn't age well was the menu. And when they first released it, it was fine. It was a new product. No one had really done anything quite like that for that console before. So the fact that you had two tabs, one for Hue cards and one for CD-ROMs, um, you know, it was kind of annoying, but there was nothing 
really else to compare it to for that console. And now that Terra Onions released a bunch of other products with menus that flow very nicely, um, it, you know, it's good to see that they took the time to update their older product as well, because it really does. It just feels like a, a much easier workflow overall than trying to bounce back and forth between tabs. Um, there's also a couple other features that's added, not just the UI changes, which is definitely my favorite part. Um, Seek support was added, which fixes a few different games where uh, the example they showed in their launch video for it was uh, FMV sequences not matching up with the audio, so that Seek support matches the Seek time to what it would have taken on the original console for the laser you know to move across the cd to get to the right spot so everything links up now and you could put if you want to a different bios per group of games so if you have a folder of japanese games you could drop a japanese bios in there um, and if you want the u.s bios now loads japanese games like original hardware so that's the type of situation where if you already owned one of these and you had an issue um, you're probably going to hear that and immediately go oh cool that fixed my issue if you hadn't had a problem you probably wouldn't have to worry about that either um, there's also button swapping in the ui if you prefer to use button one is two or vice versa a new screenshot tool and a new uh, mono mix-in option that can be combined with a hardware mod that allows you to use it properly through a PC Engine LT. So definitely a, a niche use case there, but very cool that uh, Terra Onion paid attention to that. So overall, if you already owned one of these, absolutely do the firmware update. And if you were on the fence about buying one, who knows, maybe this one will push you over the edge. Modern Vintage Gamer just posted a pretty cool video showing four different generations of the Xbox all playing a System Link game from the original Xbox, which was a pretty cool experiment uh, and something that I'm very happy to see worked because it just kind of shows how far Microsoft takes their backward compatibility. So the original Xbox had a LAN port, so you're able to plug a network cable directly into it and link it to other Xboxes to have local online play, which is something I remember doing a couple of times when I had an original Xbox and was always a ton of fun. Uh, and Modern Vintage Gamer showed the game Crimson Skies, and not only was that loaded up on an original Xbox, but then it was also loaded on a 360, and then an Xbox One, and then the latest Series X, and all of them were connected to the same LAN, and they were all able to play as if it were an original Xbox, although I believe the Series X had some pretty cool enhancements for it as well. So uh, definitely a fun video. I certainly enjoy some of these lighthearted, like, let's check out how this works video. Um, I'm also a, you know, a giant fan of MVG's deep dive technical videos, but I'm glad to see both kinds on his channel. Uh, and once again, this is just a, a really neat and fun thing to see, because it's... Uh, it's surprising that Microsoft would put that much time into their reverse engineering that this would all actually work. And I really wish Sony would do the same thing because it is kind of strange that you could take a PlayStation 1 game and put it in a PlayStation 3, but not a 4 or 5. And I get there's technical issues and in, in marketing and business involved in that, but it is just very fun that I could take uh, an original Xbox game that's on the compatibility list, stick it in the Series X, download it to the SSD, and play it. Um, with, you know, play a 20-year-old game almost. So uh, check out the video if you're interested. Um, I certainly enjoyed it. Well, this is something I never thought I'd say out loud. The game Paprium is now shipping to customers. Paprium was a game that was announced many years ago. Pre-orders were opened, and then they kind of just disappeared. And then a while after that, a launch party was thrown, where the original demo footage was shown off, not a finished game, and then the game never shipped 
and that was a few years ago. Uh, if anybody wants more of a detailed history on it, uh, check out Ray's post that kind of sums up everything you'd need to know today, as well as his previous posts about it. Uh, and if you'd like the full story, definitely check out Stika's video series, because this is just weird and strange. Um, as far as what you need to know today is that anybody who had pre-ordered the game is getting emails from the company um, saying, you know, giving uh, tracking information, I guess, verifying uh, addresses and stuff like that, as well as people who requested refunds are now getting emails as well. Um, they, they The full uh, email list that they sent out is embedded in this post. So if you want to read the entire thing, please check it out. Also, uh, strangely enough, they're offering another pre-order on the game for nearly three times the price of the original pre-order with the excuse of, well, if they're going to be scalped for a high price on eBay, why you know, we might as well just charge a lot for them to begin with, which is kind of strange because if you wanted to prevent scalping, wouldn't you just make more available to people and then maybe just charge a little more? It's just another layer of weirdness to already one of the weirdest stories in retro gaming. So, you know, whatever you need to know for today is uh, all provided in Ray's post. Um, reviews, I'm sure, are going to come out immediately as soon as it starts hitting people. Uh, and it's supposed to be a unique game because it's supposed to have a sound chip in it that uh, can't be emulated in ROM carts. So you need the original cart to have the full experience. And it's supposedly one of the most advanced games ever to be on a Sega Genesis. So I'm interested in seeing what it's like. Um, and you know, I, I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt and I always want to give people a second chance, but I think even saying that it is an incredibly fair statement for me to say, maybe don't pre-order a product that has been stuck in pre-orders for years and years. Um, I wouldn't give them a penny until that game has already reached reviewers and until it's in stock somewhere. Even if it ships and even if it's the greatest Genesis game of all time, first of all, I'm not spending $230 on it. And second of all, I'm not giving them a penny of my money until it says in stock and will ship within 24 hours of, of purchasing or a reasonable period of time, a week, whatever. But definitely not going to just hand a company with a reputation like that some money and, and hope for the best. Which once again, you know, this is not this is not a company that made one mistake that a bunch of people jumped on and tried to cancel them or something like is unfortunately so common today. This is just mistake after mistake that goes back years. <laughs> I'm shocked I'm still talking about this. So uh, I guess the short, short version is it's supposed to be shipping. I strongly caution everybody not to give them any more money until the game hits, uh, until they've proven that either hey, we're back and we're doing it right now or the game's terrible and, you know, everybody stay away. We'll find out. I, we have no clue, but uh, that's pretty much it for now. Hopefully by this time next week, we'll have some reviews on it and see what it's actually like. And, you know, I hope it's a happy ending. I really do. I really hope it's just an awesome thing that we could all talk about and talk about a crazy ending to a crazy story. But based on everything else involved in the history of this game, who knows what we're going to see? Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks so much to everybody that watches, listens, and plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody who supports on services like Patreon and Floatplane, because it's you who's keeping these podcasts, all the behind-the-scenes research, and all the other craziness alive. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>